You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. I'm here. Aaron's here. The show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, new windows, call 866-90-NATION, please, or go to windownation.com. They will take good care of you. Tell them that I told you to call. The Redskins beat Giants if is coming up. Chris Russell, my old pregame show partner at 980, is going to join me on the show today. Andy Poland a little later on. Smell test, Friday football quick picks, all of that uh, we are going to get to. Um, Josh Norman went off yesterday on Eric Reed's criticism of Malcolm Jenkins. Remember, they got into it a little bit in the Carolina Eagle game last weekend. I guess I can get into this a little bit later on, but to be honest with you, I don't really feel like I've got a dog in the fight. Uh, not a lot of emotion on this particular top topic. Look, with respect to the anthem issue, from the beginning, I always thought that the message would be masked by the means for many. That turned out to be true, but I also have acknowledged from my perspective that both sides, every side in this debate, everybody makes great points. Every Everybody makes great points, and clearly the message that Colin Kaepernick and players were trying to get across about the treatment by police of young African-American men, that is a serious issue, and anybody that has uh, really lived the last 15 years with respect to some of these cases that have become so public and, and a part of our consciousness understand that. Um, but maybe later in the show, I'll get into the Josh Norman stuff and what he said. Uh, but you know what? It's Friday. We got games to talk about. We got games to talk about. And I want to start with this. I gave out Georgia Tech yesterday, plus the three, Aaron, as sort of a lean. I told you I, I wanted to smell test it. I liked it. I played it personally. They crushed Virginia Tech 49-28, to but that's not why I bring up the game. I bring up the game because probably most of you didn't see it. You were watching the NFL game. I was one of them. The Yellow Jackets last night in Blacksburg ran the ball 78 times for, a, for 465 yards. They threw it one time. It was incomplete. They were 0-for-1 throwing the football for 0 yards and won the game 49-28. to They ran it 78 times. They threw it one time. They won the game without a completed pass. I- I'm sure we've seen this before. I was looking for it in the game story, didn't see it, and I probably could have looked harder. In triple option football over the years, there have been these kinds of games with Navy or Georgia Tech or Air Force or army where you know they've run it so much more but i don't think i remember zero completed passes in a game and only one attempt to throw the football the time of possession difference was 42 minutes 18 seconds for georgia tech 17 minutes 42 seconds for virginia tech um, anyway, uh, they they won that game big. I, I you know I, I always as I'm watching these things unfold, I'm always like, damn, I should have just given it out. And the reason I didn't give it out as a smell test play, but just as a lean last night, is that there wasn't an overwhelming public sort of on Virginia Tech play. Um, there was a little bit of sharp money on Georgia Tech, which is why I like Tech more than than the public thing. Um, and I just I, I felt like Virginia Tech was a little bit overrated defensively this year, but uh, but I didn't give it out. And the other thing that I lean towards, and I've mentioned this a couple of times here in the last few weeks about how Houston, certainly in the last week, I know there've been the NFL buy or sell segment, and then yesterday in the power poll, I didn't put Houston in the top five, but I said they are the the team to keep an eye on. They're dangerous. They're going to be a tough out in January because I think they're going to get there. But I leaned them minus seven last night, and they probably had their most uh, impressive win of the year. 42-23 to over Miami. Deshaun Watson last night, five touchdown passes, and he was 16 of 20. And there, there were some Houdini acts oh, yeah. from that, Watson last night. That one touchdown where it was falling to his left? Yeah, I mean, he really... Look, I love their defense, and I love the fact that Lamar Miller and DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson, that they've got playmakers. They are the best team in the AFC South. They've won five in a row after losing their first three. They're a fun team to watch. They will be here three weeks from this Sunday 
to face the Redskins. And in my view, they are going to be a January playoff team as an AFC South champion. And they're going to be a tough team to deal with because defense travels. Now, we'll find out this year if this big offensive year trumps great defense when we get to December and January. But uh, Houston's got right now a dynamic offense with playmakers, and they've got a really good defense. So you were thinking that Tom Wilson's 20-game suspension would get reduced upon appeal. Well, that's not going to happen. Commissioner Gary Bettman rejected the NHLPA's appeal of the 20-game ban. And remember this, Aaron, we had multiple people on after the Tom Wilson suspension was announced, 20 games, and every single person to a man said this will get reduced upon appeal because they put it at such a severe uh, 20 game suspension number because they wanted to, they were leaving room for the appeal and a reduction to something like 10 games or 12 games. Uh-uh. And here's what Gary Bettman said, quote, Mr. Wilson's involvement in yet another illegal and dangerous head check so soon after his August meeting with player safety head George Peros strongly suggests to me that Mr. Wilson is not getting the message, and it reinforced my firm conviction that the lengthy suspension issued by the league in this case was necessary and appropriate, and he finished off that quote by saying, I reject the PA's suggestion that an eight-game suspension is sufficient under these circumstances. That was adamant, definitive. Bettman, because of the, uh, because of the repeat offending, was not going to let Tom Wilson walk with any message other than you better not do this again or you're going to be done for the year. So I thought that was interesting, especially given that all these people had had really suggested to us that they were expecting a reduction in the suspension. Caps lost last night in Edmonton, if you were wondering, 4-1. to one. And the young star, Connor McDavid, he scored. He's uh, really good. Night. He's really yeah. real. Two things about that, real quick. Uh, one, there is a chance if he wants to, he can appeal Bettman's decision. He can to, appeal the the appeal to, to a neutral arbitrator. That is possible. The other thing is one thing that seemed really that uh, was quoted a lot. Apparently, they interviewed uh, Brian McClellan, the GM, about it, and he even said, "Yeah, he probably could have adjusted his hit." So that's one of the reasons they rejected that thought that there was nothing he could do is because the Caps GM himself said. You can't. Thanks for that. Yeah. Thanks for that, Mr. GM. Uh, one quick NBA note. The Houston Rockets reportedly offered four first-round picks to Minnesota for Jimmy Butler. In most sports, that would seem to be an obscene amount of compensation to offer for one player. Not in the NBA. You take the sure thing, which is Jimmy Butler, over prospects, especially prospects that may be in the bottom quarter of the draft. And remember, you can't give away back-to-back years of first-round picks, so it's really four picks in the next eight years or seven, as it would turn out, because they'd get the first one the first year. So those of you that tweeted me last night, my answer is I would absolutely consider giving up four first-round picks for Jimmy Butler to go for it right now. The NBA's prospects, late first-rounders, are more miss than hit, and Jimmy Butler's a big hit. All right, let's get to Redskins beat Giants if. All right, the Redskins are going to beat the Giants if they don't fall into the trap that most NFL teams fall into, which is a big win, an emotionally draining win over an arch rival one week, and then the next week you don't play well. It's the 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 cliched letdown spot. This is clearly what Vegas believes, all right? Because right now you're, you got a one in six football team that's trading off some of its parts. But they believe the Giants are a live dog this week. Not literally live dog because the game is now a pick 'em game. I have no idea what to expect from the Giants, but I know that they are capable of playing better than their record would indicate. Um, The Redskins beat the Giants if they come ready and don't fall into that trap of letdown after an emotionally draining win. The Redskins will beat the Giants if they get off to a quick start, grab a lead. This plays well for them on three fronts. First, it's always good to score first in an NFL game. It, it, it Scoring first always increases your win probability. But for the Redskins this year, they appear to be a team, at least right now, 
that needs to win the way they've won the last two weeks. The formula that, I, that I've described after they beat Carolina. Run the ball, stop the run, win the turnover battle, win the field position battle, play good special teams, don't commit killer penalties. More games in the NFL are lost, not won. And they've gone out and not lost the last two weeks. If they get behind by too much, they'll be out of their comfort zone. Uh, the other part of that, too, is the Skins start fast this week against the Giants. Let's say they get out to a 10-0 lead or a 13-0 lead or a 14-0 lead. It could be turn tails and bail time for the Giants at 1-6. I think they will come motivated, but if you jump on them early, maybe that's it. The Redskins will beat the Giants if they take advantage of a bad offensive line in New York and they disrupt everything that, try, that the Giants will try to do offensively. Stop the run, quick pressure on Eli. The Falcons got pressure quickly and stopped the run. The Redskins have a, a better defensive front than Atlanta. Um, be disruptive up front against really one of the worst offensive lines I've seen in recent NFL, NFL history. The Redskins last year, when they had all the injured players out, that was a sieve uh, for a, a three- or four-game stretch. The Giants are worse. Skins will beat the Giants if they tackle well. Saquon Barkley, Odell Beckham Jr. can take a little something and turn it into a big something if you don't tackle well. And a couple of those little somethings turning into big somethings could be the difference between two to three scores and two to three forced punts tackle well on Sunday lastly the Redskins will beat the Giants if they do what they've done the last two weeks run the ball stop the run get turnovers without giving one back they don't need to be plus two or plus three this week plus one would be great make the Giants win and score with that offensive line by going 80 yards or at least 50 yards to attempt a field goal I said last week and, it, I, and I said it's not sexy, but punt it. Take the check down on third and long and punt it. Field position has been so big for them the last two weeks. Last week, their average starting field position was the 33-yard line, and Dallas's was their own 21. You have a 12-yard difference in field position start. You're going to be in really good shape in a lot of NFL games. All right, let's bring in Chris Russell, my friend of many years at 980. We did the pregame show together there for a few years, and of course Chris has been over the past few years at 106.7 The Fan. Um, and I, I'm glad to catch up with you. You know, I, I, I always enjoyed our conversations. And, Absolutely. And so it'll be fun to do it today. Uh, I want to start with this, and, and that is, you know, some of the players that have been injured and some of those players we weren't sure were, were, were injured as seriously as they may be. What is the deal with Quentin Dunbar, this nerve thing? Is, is this a potential serious, long-lasting injury? Yeah, first of all, Kevin, it's great to be on with you uh, after all these years. Uh, you know, we used to do a lot of radio together, and uh, we've been denied that over the last couple of years because of logistics uh, and all that stuff. So, first of all, thanks uh, for having me. It's great to be on with you. But, yeah, as far as Dunbar, you know, I, I get nervous anytime we hear about nerve and nerve regeneration. Um, you know, these things sometimes take a couple of weeks. I mean, I don't think it'll be a long-term debilitating thing, but I don't know if he goes this Sunday against the Giants. And, um, you know, that could be problematic, and certainly it will be problematic if he can't go next Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons at FedEx when you bring in Julio Jones right. and Calvin Ridley. And, you know, I don't want to go too far here, and I'm not a doctor, but whenever you talk about – contusion turning into nerve damage you always worry about that because we've seen you know and it's a different injury but you've seen guys like Kayshawn Jarrett the, you know the promising once promising rookie safety um, you know special teams ace who, who never was able to get feeling back because of nerve damage I, again that's an extreme uh, but it is concerning for a guy who obviously has to use his wheels uh, to, 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 to do his job Look, with him or without him, um, I, w I just have had this gut feeling that 
they may make some sort of move prior mm-hmm. to the trade deadline when it comes to a corner. You know, if they were to beat the Giants down this weekend, maybe Janoris Jenkins is available. Yep. <laughs> you know, Patrick Peterson is going to be mm-hmm. pricey, uh, and it, it sounds like, you know, they've worked things out there. But do you think there's a chance they make a move for a corner or any other player at any other position before the trade deadline? Yes. Janaris Jenkins was the guy, not that I love him, Kev, but I'm so glad you mentioned it, and that's why we always you know, thought alike. That's the guy that I think can be most easily had at a need position that you know, yes, he's susceptible to biting on double moves. So are many corners. But that guy is physical, he's feisty, he's experienced, and he's got some ball-hawking tendencies. And I think they can add him – a guy like him, now whether the Giants would trade him in the division, I don't know. Um, but I think they could add a guy like that for relatively cheap. Whereas Patrick Peterson, I had a longtime NFL evaluator tell me the other day, you know, when I asked him specifically, hey, who would you rather have in this scenario that I cooked up? Demarius Thomas from the Broncos, the wide receiver, or Patrick Peterson from the Cardinals. And this was before Peterson came out with his statement. He said, oh, easily Patrick Peterson. And I said, well, what would you be willing to pay for him? He goes, a first-round pick. Now, mind you, this is somebody that thought the Cowboys were just insane for paying a first-round pick. I think they earlier. were, too. And I do, too. But, you know, but, but again, he would pay a first-round pick, in his opinion, for Patrick Peterson so would from I. Arizona. So would I. Would, yeah. would you? I, I, I wouldn't. I, I, honestly, as much as I love the player and – I know what you could be getting. I do worry a little bit about, you know, I do worry a little bit about guys, you know, starting to head towards the age of 30. I know he's not there yet. I know he's a really good player, Kevin, but, you know, to me, first-round picks, and I know there are no guarantees with Kyle Smith running the draft and more to me, are much more valuable than even they used to be, especially because, as we always used to talk about, when you don't have to pay these guys first-round picks a whole bunch of money, regardless of where they are in terms of slotting, in terms of the pick, you can get a really good player at a really low cost. Peterson's a really good player. You don't know how he transitions over to this system, this scheme, this town, this everything. Um, but to give up a first-round pick and to have to pay him $12, $13 million a year, eh, I'm a little hesitant to do that. Yeah, I would never have given um, uh, Oakland a first for Amari Cooper. There are a lot of reasons for that. Also, you know, One of the big reasons is the, I just don't know what that position does in terms of you know over a 16-game schedule to help you yep. win more games, but I, I, I feel differently about the cornerback position, and I, I think understand. they and I think they need one. Um, but 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 if you told me, that that it was a pass rusher uh, in their spot in this draft, a legitimate outside edge mm-hmm. pass rusher uh, that could really make an impact, then I would not give up uh, that pick for Peterson. Let me just get to a couple of other things real quickly before we get to Alex Smith. Is Crowder going to play Sunday or not? I don't think so. But, th- um, but Thompson will, right? I think so, based on uh, you know, based on everything that I've heard, that he's certainly going to give it a try, barring some sort of setback in pregame warm-ups. I'd be shocked if he's ruled out today or uh, Saturday morning. It, it might be just a pain tolerance type thing where they've given him a couple of weeks. Remember, you know, the, the first week was a short week, kind of what the Giants are doing this week, Kev. You know, going mo- late Monday night, road trip back from New Orleans, early Sunday game. That's exactly what the Giants are doing. So I wasn't surprised at all by that. I was a little surprised by last week. I expect Thompson to play. I don't expect Crowder to play. I think Crowder should be back, should be back for Atlanta, but I don't think he'll play this week. All right. Uh, Is Jay Gruden frustrated with Alex Smith? I think he is. I mean, I think you can see the body language, and he he damn well should be. Uh, I'm sure you've talked about this a million times. I've been on this since week two. I don't think this is an issue, and, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think this is an issue of Alex Smith can't throw deep, doesn't look deep, doesn't try. I think he's wildly inaccurate, short, intermediate, and deep. And that's driving me insane. And if it's driving me insane, it's got to be driving Jay Gruden insane. And I think he's sometimes too quick trigger to leave the pocket and to, to escape and to try and make something out of nothing, which I get. 
I understand that's part of what you brought him in, but the inaccuracy and the ball location high, behind, wide, over the top of guys running free, deep, missing guys that are seemingly wide open is mystifying to me. I've never seen this Alex Smith, quite honestly. I can only hope, Kevin, maybe I'm missing something here, that this is just simply not being on the same page rhythm with everyone, including his receivers and the guy that's calling the plays. Yeah, I I think he's giving up too early on plays. I also think that he doesn't look as as quick um, as a scrambler uh, as he I did, which concerns me a little bit. But I also think uh, that it'll get better um, as the season goes on, or at least I'm hopeful. Um, I'm with you on that. I'm mo- with you on that. Move to two other things uh, real quickly, and then I'll let you run. Is anyone making a big deal anymore about Josh Norman and, and, and his rivalry with Odell Beckham Jr.? Like th- <laughs> this is this was supposed to be a year in, yeah. year out, two game war, and I don't <laughs> think anybody cares about it anymore. No. You know, that's a great point. I didn't even think about it once, to be honest with you, right, which tells you where where it is. Um, maybe you know, maybe we're all wrong and maybe we're missing something and maybe something will happen on Sunday. I hope it doesn't because you got two incredible hotheads. I think Josh Norman, and I can just more speak of him. I mean, Odell is a lunatic. Uh, we all know that. But he's such a talented player that you, you, you just live with it, and that's what the Giants are doing. Um, and again, that's proven almost every week. And I know they have other issues, but Odell, whereas Josh, you know, like I, I, the last thing I want him doing is woofing at anybody, getting involved in any of this nonsense, talking about Eric Reed, talking about players coalition, Odell, this, that. Kev, he's got enough problems to deal with. I mean, I mean, you know this, you reported on the headset thing. This was before the headset thing, Monday night, New Orleans, but really, Afterwards, that week, uh, I'm not sure what exactly you heard, but I was told that there were people, high-ranking people in that organization that were like, let's move on from this guy right now. And maybe not like that week, but like if this didn't get really better really quick, like before the end of the season, not just after the season when I think that decision's already practically been made. Oh, yeah, it's done. This is it for him. He staved off elimination by that performance against Carolina and now the two wins in a row. So Josh Norman's got to get his head in the right place, which it has been the last two weeks. Forget about Odell Beckham. Don't do anything stupid. I don't care what you need to get yourself going. Here's what you need, pal. You need a turnover. That's what you need. All right, last thing. Do you think the team's taking Jay Gruden at his word that a one-in-six opponent in the Meadowlands is a live dog, so to speak, and that they are very capable of winning this game, the Giants are? Do you think his – look, he's got a young team in spots on defense Mm -hmm. in particular. You know, I heard him in his press conference the other day, Mm -hmm. you know, put the caution, put the warning out there. I think he gets it. Do you think the team gets it? I think finally because of Indianapolis and because of how bad they were in New Orleans off the 15 days, yes. I think. I hope. I pray. I don't know how you can not watch tape of Odell Beckham and Saquon Barkley and go, oh, my God, if we don't come with our lunch pail and, and, and that mentality that we came with the last two weeks and against Green Bay and against Arizona, we are going to get our ass kicked. Right. I don't know how you I don't know how you go with any other mentality than that. And I'm thankful. I'll just say this and I'll wrap it up quickly with this. I'm thankful for Jonathan Allen and DJ Swearinger. I don't love everything Swearinger does, but I'm thankful for guys like that that are vocal leaders, that are doing it by example, that are taking a kick ass mentality. Because for far too long this team has had too many nice guys, too many, you know, like, uh, eh, you know, everything will be okay, guys. This team needs more fire and brimstone, guys, and I think those two guys clearly have that and have installed a little bit of a different mentality, I think, going into this game. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. It's good to catch up. Yeah, Kev, great to be on with you and appreciate the invite. Let's do it again. We'll do it again soon. Thanks. Chris Russell, everybody. haven't talked to him in this setting for, I don't know, four years. Andy just walked into the studio. When did Russell leave 980? Uh, you you, you got to get on the mic here. 
Got to turn on the mic. That's the way it works oh, here. Okay. Uh, let's see. He was not renewed in the summer of <laughs> 15 by a program director who lasted another 15 minutes or so. <laughs> or so. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks to Chris. Uh, window Nation is my favorite window company, and I want it to be yours too. Harley and Aaron from Window Nation are fans and believers in this podcast, in me. I want you to trust in them if you're looking for new windows. Temperatures are falling fast. It's a great reminder that your window, pun intended, for getting new windows installed before the holidays and snow hits is closing. While most window companies are experiencing 12-week lead times, Window Nation can do it in less than half the time and save you half the money. Call today. Get two free windows for every two you buy. Buy four, get four free. Buy six, get six free. There is no limit. And there's only one thing better than free windows, free financing. And for the next two weeks, Window Nation is offering no interest for five full years. New windows now, no interest for 60 months. Call the window company that over 80,000 homeowners, including me, have already trusted and take advantage of this amazing offer now, getting two windows for every two windows you buy and 0% interest for five full years. Go to windownation.com, save this winter and forever on your energy bills, eliminate those nasty drafts, and start enjoying all the benefits of new windows today. That's windownation.com or call 866 90 Nation. All right, let's get to some Friday football quick picks. Everything you need to know for your football weekend. It's Friday football quick picks. All right, the smell test is coming up. Uh, plus eight units, 55% on the year. Um, eight of the last 12 years winning uh, with no predictive analytics like it's the stock market or like you're playing cards. A big difference. Trust me. I was on with Jeff Ma earlier this morning on Tony's show. Good guy, and he apparently has a winning record too. But I, you know, I think he even he knows there's no predictive analytical modeling for sports betting. It's different than counting cards, all right, or investing in the stock market. Much different. My friends who live in warm tropical locales in the Caribbean, they would line up to take his action. Line up to take his action. Uh, we'll get to the smell test. It's coming up shortly. Uh, games of the weekend. Florida, Georgia tomorrow. This is it in the SEC East. Now, Kentucky actually has a loss, um, but they've beaten Florida. So, technically, they could run the table beating Georgia. Uh, they play Missouri tomorrow and win the SEC East. I think tomorrow's Florida-Georgia game basically will decide it. You are talking about the fastest defense in the country in Florida's all three levels NFL talent on all three levels up front linebackers secondary the fastest defense in the country they are fun to watch they are limited offensively but if they can win this game tomorrow I think Florida you're going to end up with a Florida Bama more likely than not unless LSU can beat Alabama next week in in Death Valley Um, a Florida Bama SEC title game unless Georgia wins tomorrow and Georgia They've got a badass defense as well. And the difference could be Georgia's running game. And if you have not seen Evander Holyfield's son Elijah play yet, oh my God, is he tough. He's as physical a runner as there is in college football. He is a pro running back. And coming into this season, after the season of Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle last year, they had DeAndre Swift. If you recall, they played Swift in that in the playoff uh, win over Oklahoma and even in the national championship game. And you were like, my God, he's gifted. He's talented. Well, Holyfield has taken a lot of his carries. Uh, This game tomorrow could easily be 13-10, 17-14. I think Florida's been building towards this one. They beat LSU to to sort of announce themselves as an SEC East contender. This would put them in the driver's seat. Uh, Georgia embarrassed the Gators last year, 42-7. I like Florida's chances tomorrow. I like them plus the seven. Uh, Stay tuned to find out if it's a smell test pick. Um, But this would not only put them in legitimate contention for the SEC East title, but if they were to play Bama and beat them, and I don't think they would, all right, I'm not suggesting that, in the SEC title game in Atlanta in early December, they could potentially be the surprise long-shot Final Four team right now. The bottom line is this is an elimination game. If Georgia loses, they're out no matter what happens. 
Uh, that's really it on the college slate tomorrow. It's not a great college board. Clemson's a 17-point favorite in Tallahassee against Florida State. Uh, the Knolls have been better recently, winning three of their last four, um, with that one loss being, Aaron, that big blown lead at Miami. So they could be on a four-game win streak. Clemson's just better. If you forced me to play this game, I'd probably play the underdog and take the points. You know, I, Clemson was a smell test pick last week, laying all those points to NC State, and the number went from 17 to 18 and a half. And I, and I said on last Friday, get it at 17. It's going higher. There's a ton of sharp action from some of the offshore people that I had talked to on Clemson, and they, they housed NC State. And now people will look at Clemson and think, well, they'll do the same to Florida State because Florida State's worse than NC State. I don't know that Florida State's that much worse than NC State. They can't win this game, but they can keep it close. Let's go to Sunday, the first game of the day. Like last week is actually an important game. It's Philadelphia and Jacksonville. And remember, some people had this as the, as the Super Bowl matchup before the season started. Now both teams are sort of playing with their season on the line to a certain extent, both of them at three and four. The Jags have lost three in a row, and none of those games were close. The Eagles blew a 17-0 lead and lost to the Panthers last week, and now they've lost three of their last four. I don't think the Eagles are done with a loss at 3-5. and five. But to get to the the first half mark at 3-5 and five for them would be a major surprise based on what we thought they were before the season started. I think something's wrong with Philadelphia, and I'm not sure they're going to get out of it anytime soon. Uh, I felt differently, Aaron. Remember last week I said I expect Philly to, to bounce back and 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 get on a run here and be a, a really solid team in, in December. But something about that loss last week, they gave up three drives of 75 yards plus in the fourth quarter. They buckled. They gave it away. And then that final drive... I mean, Carson Wentz airmailed that pass to, to, to Ertz, which got picked off by Eric Reed and somehow overturned by replay. Um, here's an interesting game on, on Sunday. Seattle at Detroit. You know how much I think the Lions are underrated and that they could make a playoff kind of run this year. A lot of people feel the same way about Seattle, especially after they took the Rams. They're the only team to really push the Rams this year. Um, I think this is one of those games you may be you may look back on in December and say the team that won this game is the wild card team and the team that didn't is out because I think both teams are capable. I like the Lions. I think they're very underrated. They traded for Damon Harrison, Snacks Harrison this week to really upgrade their defensive interior. For whatever reason, I think this is the year. But then again, I thought last year was going to be the year for the Lions too, and I was dead wrong. Carry on, Johnson though is. Um, I loved him coming out of the draft. Uh, not He's not Saquon Barkley, but I always felt like he was the second best back in, in last year's draft, and he's proving it right now. Uh, he had 158 yards last week on 19 carries. They're going to start getting him more and more touches, um, and he's going to be a guy that's going to be in consideration when we get to the end of the season for NFC Rookie of the Year. Uh, Baltimore is minus two at Carolina uh, on Sunday after that painful loss to New Orleans where Justin Tucker missed the extra point. Um, the Ravens are still my pick to go deep into the AFC playoffs, and you know the price is getting longer in terms of the uh, of the the probability. Um, I think I saw them the other day at like twenty five to one to win the AFC title, um, and if they lose this weekend and they're four and four, they're going to be way back there. I just think defensively they're the best team that I've seen in the NFL this year, and they held New Orleans to seven points through three quarters of that game. New Orleans is really good uh, on offense, in particular. Um, Baltimore's schedule, I don't think I've mentioned this, and you know what I think about schedules, like predicting what it will be at the end of the year versus now. But right now, the way it stacks up, they're at Carolina, all right, after New Orleans last week, at Carolina. They still have games at Arrowhead, in L.A. against the Chargers, at Atlanta, and Atlanta is very capable offensively in particular, they still have games with Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. Both of those are home games, but it is a brutal schedule, at least on paper now, the rest of the way. Sunday in Charlotte for them is a big game. It's a big game for both of the teams um, in the game. Uh, two physical teams. I just think Baltimore is so tough if they make you one-dimensional, and I think they're going to do that to Carolina 
I like Baltimore on the road laying the two. Uh, again, this isn't the smell test. Smell test coming up with the official picks. They may be in it, though. Uh, the two best games of the day are back-to-back, 425 on, on Fox, and then the Sunday night game. Green Bay at the Rams. The Rams are minus 9.5. Aaron Rodgers has never been a bigger underdog than he is Sunday in L.A. against the Rams. The Packers are off a bye week. The Rams back home after winning three in a row on the road. You know, they won at Seattle in that tight game at Denver. Then they blew out the 49ers last week. The Packers always have a chance with Rodgers, but I think in this one they're going to need to run the football a ton. I mean, their best defense is going to be their offense, and it's not typically what they do. Um, They're going to have to keep pace. They're going to have to score 30-plus. They're probably going to have to have a six-minute time of possession advantage. They're probably going to have to be plus two or better because I just don't think they can stop the Rams. I don't think they can stop them, and the Rams being back home as a 7-0 and team, and I know it's not a great home field advantage. In fact, there'll be a ton of Packer fans in L.A. for this game. Uh, but I like the Rams, and I think the Rams are going to win this one big. And then Sunday night, New Orleans in Minnesota. It's the NBC Sunday night game. It's a rematch of the Miracle in Minneapolis playoff game from a year ago. The Saints want this one badly. Um, Minnesota's got a different quarterback, you may have heard, uh, than the one they had last year, uh, and he's been great. And his receivers are even better. The Vikings have had offensive line issues. They've had major problems running the football. They're 28th uh, in in rushing the football in the league. Um, New Orleans is going to seem a bit easier, though, defensively than the Jet defense they faced last week, which gave them problems because the Jets defensively are very good. Um, the Saints, uh, the Saints are going to have the same issue. It's going to be easier for them against Minnesota than it was in Baltimore last week. This has shootout written all over it, uh, and should be a great game. I sort of like the Vikings to win at home. A couple of the other things that I'm interested in watching over the weekend, Maryland. I'm interested. I haven't mentioned this yet, but that two month in- investigation into the allegations of abuse and whether or not you know there was a toxic culture came out yesterday they found that there isn't a toxic culture uh during the Durkin era however um they also said that a lot of troubling incidents have occurred during (laughs) Durkin's leadership the one thing that struck me immediately and I have not read the 200 page report and I'm not going to I, I definitely skimmed over a lot of it well here's so you can tell me if my initial uh thought and instinct was right I think on some level they took Durkin off the hook with respect to a firing with cause. And now they, they'll fire him. I believe that. Yes. Um, but it's going to be without cause, and they're going to be on the hook for his remaining salary. It, it definitely seems like a lot of the blame. Obviously, court, you know, record. Strength and conditioning coach. Exactly. Takes a lot of the blame and fired with cause, absolutely. A lot of it, Kevin Anderson was brutalized in this just basically made it seem like he couldn't run anything properly from the moment he stepped into the uh, stepped into the job and that's one of the things he said he wasn't properly he wasn't given proper uh, support from the athletic uh, department and he didn't get give proper oversight as well right so that that's a big thing and that's going to be a big thing going forward but yes I agree with you I don't think he'll be fired with cause but he will be fired and it wouldn't surprise me my guess is Sunday well that would certainly be a, an expedited process because everything else has taken months and months and I was starting to think after uh, last night we may still be a month or two away from firing out, uh, finding out what happens to Durkin to Damon Evans the AD and also to Wallace Lowe there um, is another meeting today but here's the good news basketball season starts in two weeks which is what uh, most Maryland sports fans care about anyway now football wise they are playing a game tomorrow and they are a 17 and a half point favorite over Illinois Illinois is terrible um, but Maryland has to get two more for bowl eligibility, if you care about that. I do. I'd like to. I, you know what I like? I like bowl season, holidays, sitting around watching football. And if on December 26th they're playing in the Belk Bowl in Charlotte or the Pinstripe Bowl. I, I think it's the Pinstripe Bowl if they get right. to 6-6. Six and six. It'd be like against Syracuse or somebody like yeah. that. I'd be fine with that. Um, but they've got to win two more games. And here's the problem with that. They'll win tomorrow. I think they'll beat Illinois. Who are they going to beat after that? Are they going to beat Michigan State at home? Are they going to beat Indiana on the road? Indiana's not bad. They're not bad. And they're not beating Ohio State or Penn State. No. It's either Michigan State or Indiana. Both are winnable, but not likely. 
Winnable all the time is going to Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep in Fairfax. Farish should be on your list if you're considering something new. Go to FarishCars.com right now. Um, Kevin Farish and Ralph Perkins have been friends of mine for over a decade. They supported every single show I was involved in on radio, and they're really smart. They get what their customers want, and they make it easy for you. And I, I've pointed this out recently. Their website, when you go to FarishCars.com, there are three big bars on the homepage. New inventory, used inventory, schedule service. Like, you don't have to, you know, spend 15 minutes navigating the site to find what you want. What do you want when you think about a car dealership? A new car, a used car, or scheduled service? Ralph and Kevin get their customers. They know what they want. They make it easy for you, and I promise you that if you give them a chance, they won't disappoint. Plenty of inventory right now on their lot. Whatever you're looking for, you'll likely find it in the make, model, and color, and you'll be able to drive it off the lot. Lots of Jeeps right now. The Compass Sport, the Compass Latitude, Jeep Renegades. Uh, deals right now on just about anything Jeep. Cherokees, Grand Cherokees, Wranglers. If you're thinking about a minivan because you've got a big family, a growing family, right now great deals on the Chrysler Pacifica. If you like this show and you're thinking about buying something new, I give you my word that you'll be taken care of if you head out to Farish and Fairfax. Ask for Ralph Perkins when you get there. He is in the store six days a week, sometimes seven. They're located right there in Fairfax Circle. Ask for him when you get there. Tell him I sent you. You can also find out everything Farish has right now, including live inventory and live pricing at FarishCars.com. Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's, it's time, time for the, the smell test. test. All right, five and seven last week. Um, first losing week in about a month. 45, 37, and three on the year, 55%. So you're winning, even with the VIG. And by the way, I've mentioned this before. You can shop around. You don't have to pay minus 110 on every straight, straight bet. Haggle with your guy. Tell them you want to pay minus 107, 106. You can haggle those deals. Trust me. They want your business. All right. What sucks about last week is there were games um, I really liked. I played personally, and I leaned towards on the show, but they weren't official picks. And look, I, I, I hate it when people will tell you about the games they won but failed to mention that before the games actually start. I mentioned them on the show last week, gave them out as leans. I told you that, that Ohio State was on upset alert. I loved Purdue plus the number. It just didn't fit all of the smell test criteria. I loved Temple, um, but that had some late Cincinnati sharp action, which kept me off that in terms of the smell test. Um, Duke would have lost. Auburn would have won. Uh, but whatever. Uh, one of those weeks where it's like it could have been much better, it wasn't. And I've had some of those weeks that were really good that should have been much worse. Uh, last night I started out with the uh, Virginia Tech lean and the Houston lean, uh, but they don't count either. Let me get to the games that count. Saturday, tomorrow, unranked Northwestern is getting four and a half at home against 19th ranked Wisconsin. Northwestern last week had to rally to beat Rutgers. Rutgers is awful. They are one of the three or four worst Division I teams in America, and Northwestern was down two scores in the second half to Rutgers. They were a 20-point favorite in that game, nearly lost the game, won 18-15. Meantime, Wisconsin bounced back nicely off their loss to Michigan with a rout of Illinois last week in the snow in Madison. I don't know if you caught that, but it was snowing in the first half. The public money is loaded up on Wisconsin, and there is sharp money on Northwestern. This one fits. Give me the Evanston, Illinois crew plus the four and a half. That number's down from six and a half. I've told you this a million times. It's sharp money that moves a number, not public money. Um, so I'm taking Northwestern plus the four and a half. How about Missouri? They are playing 14th ranked Kentucky, and Missouri is favored by seven in this game. Now, I did mention the Florida-Georgia game. To me, we'll decide the SEC East, that Kentucky's going to lose at least once or twice more. They're going to lose tomorrow. They're 6-1. and one. They're ranked 14th in the land, and they're playing unranked Missouri, and they're a seven-point dog. The average better out there looks at that line and thinks Vegas made a mistake. Uh, no, they don't make mistakes. Take Missouri, lay the points. This one has like 41-17 written all over it. Um, four more games real quickly uh, tomorrow. 
Western Kentucky's one and six, and they're playing five and two Florida International. I can't name one player. I don't know who coaches these teams. I can just tell you that a one and six team should never get just three and a half against a team that's five and two. Public is all over Florida International, thinking the game's already been played and that it's easy money. Take Western Kentucky plus the three and a half. How about zero and seven UTEP? Getting just 16, yeah, just 16 against 6-1 and one UAB. This line should be 21. It's 16. They are begging you to lay the points and take UAB. I'll take the points and take winless UTEP getting 16. I like SMU plus 8.5 hosting Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati isn't as good as their undefeated record a week ago would have indicated. They lost to Temple. They had the lead late in that game, went to overtime. Temple won at 24-17. Temple's actually a decent team. SMU can throw the football. I think they can score enough to hang in there with Cincinnati. Uh, SMU plus the 8.5. The public is is playing Cincinnati. There's sharp money on SMU. That line opened to 10. It's down to 8.5. And then one more, and this was a tough one for me, because Mississippi State, um, I watched that game against LSU last week. Their defense is so nasty. But they have a quarterback, Nick Fitzgerald, and their whole offense is to run the quarterback 85% of the plays. They snap it to him in shotgun, and it's straight quarterback counter, quarterback sweep, quarterback runs. And he got this snot kicked out of him at LSU last week because LSU's defense is great. And the game was tighter than the score really indicated. They lost 19-3. to They're laying points this week against Texas A&M. I like Mississippi State. The public's on AM. There is some mixed, sharp action on this game. Talked to my offshore guy last night, and he said that there was sharp action on AM, but then this morning texted me and said a lot of recent sharp action on Mississippi State. So I'm going to throw them into the smell test this week for, for, for a second straight week. Uh, take Mississippi State and lay the point and a half. Let's go to Sunday. Uh, the public loves Philadelphia, despite what recent impressions seem to indicate that they are, uh, you know, a, not a great football team right now. Three and four, blew the seventeen nothing lead. Uh, the public really believes Jacksonville's much worse, and they look at the number in London Sunday and they think it's too short. Philly's a three point favorite. Take Jacksonville plus the three. Wouldn't that be great to get to one o'clock for Redskins Giants and the Eagles are three and five? It's possible. Uh, the Ravens are laying two at Carolina. Uh, I don't think people believe in Baltimore, but I'll tell you who does believe in Baltimore. Vegas. Because understand this. If they were playing this game in Baltimore, they'd be an eight-point favorite. I'll explain that to you. They're minus two at Carolina. If it were a neutral field, they'd be minus five. You get three points for home. And if it were in Baltimore, Baltimore, they'd be minus eight against the Panthers. That's big. That's a big number against a Panther team that has played well here recently could have beaten the Redskins, and then came back to beat Philadelphia last week. I like the Ravens to bounce back, lay the two there. Uh, Bucks are plus four at Cincinnati. Give me them. I've been close with the Bucks. Last week I had Cleveland against them, and the week before that I had them against Atlanta. Public loves Cincinnati to bounce back. I like the Bucks plus four. If you haven't watched them with Jameis Winston since he got back, they can really move the football. Uh, he's actually looked very good. I like the Rams laying the big number against the Packers. The public loves Aaron Rodgers this week. They don't always love underdogs. This week, they think 9.5 is too many points against Aaron Rodgers. I think this has blowout written all over it. I like the Rams minus 9.5. And, and Monday night, just take Buffalo plus the 14. Uh, no, no one's giving him a chance to cover any number uh, against New England. So I'll take Buffalo. Their defense is good. I'll take them plus the 14. Um, here's the one game that you have all tweeted me about at Kevin Sheehan DC, and you're just expecting me to have in the smell test because it is the biggest one-sided public play of the weekend. It involves the game that we care about the most. The public is lined up on the Redskins at a pick as if the result was printed already and they're taking advantage of Vegas and they're going to kill Vegas on this game. And more times than not, this is a go-to-the-bank smell test pick. It is. The Giants would be the pick any 99% of the time. But 
Here's the but, and it has nothing to do with the fact that I want the Redskins to win the game because those of you that have listened to the smell test over the years know that I have gone against the Redskins many times in the smell test. This one seems so telegraphed, so obvious. The dopes are even saying this is a trap game. Like the real dummies, the average bettors are saying, oh, the Redskins, this is a trap game. Everybody's calling it a trap game. So it's almost like, yes, the line seems wrong, right? The Redskins, you would think, should be a favorite over a 1-6 Giant team. Again, I'll say this. I think the Giants are capable, and I think they're gonna, I think they're going to play well Sunday. But it's so obvious, I'm just backing off this one. This would be a guaranteed 99.9% of the time smell test pick because it's anti-public. The sharp money's on New York, too. The line open, Redskins minus one and a half. It's down to a pick. But all of my dopey friends who are usually the... uh, more, More information comes from my dope friends than anywhere else. It's like when they are absolutely convinced that one side is right, I just go the other way and it works out more often than it doesn't. But even they're saying, man, this is a trap game. The Redskins better be careful. They could lose this game. I'm off it. I'm not including the Giants in the smell test pick. Uh, Let's review the picks for this weekend. Northwestern plus four and a half at home against Wisconsin. Missouri laying seven to Kentucky. Western Kentucky plus three and a half against Florida International. UTEP getting 16 against UAB. SMU plus eight and a half hosting Cincinnati and Mississippi State minus one and a half against AM. Sunday, the Jags plus three, the Ravens minus two, the the Bucks plus four, the Rams minus nine and a half. And then on Monday night, the Bills plus the 14. Let me just ask all of you if you haven't rated the podcast on iTunes or any other platform, Rate it. It really helps us when you've done it. It's really helped us. Review it, too, if you have time. Uh, Also, for all of those people that say to you, I want to listen, but I don't know how to do a podcast, just tell them it's really easy if they know how to use the Internet. Just go to thekevinsheanshow.com, and there's a big blue button with an arrow, and all you got to do is click that button and turn your volume up, and you can listen to it. Bram Weinstein's in the studio laughing at that. Uh, let's bring in Andy Polin uh, for his weekly Friday segment, looking at sort of the three best and the three worst against their upcoming opponent at FedEx Field. No. No? You changed it on me? Because they're playing in New York. Oh, okay. So it's only, only games in the new Meadowlands? Or the old Meadowlands. Oh, okay, good. Or even Yankee Stadium. Oh, boy. And I've seen Larry, all of these games. Sonny is a torn Achilles. Uh, well, that's in there, but that's not in the bad. Really. Okay. Here are the three bad. Uh, and it's post-merger. Barely. <laughs> November 15th, 1970. Yankee Stadium. I saw this on John Oshinsky's 19-inch black-and-white TV. This was the year that the Redskins... Hold on, went... you got to speak loudly because the people that, that remember this game can't hear you right now. <laughs> I understand. This was the year that they went to those horrible yellow helmets, okay? And uh, they're playing at Yankee Stadium, and this game pointed out more than ever why they needed George Allen to come in the next year. Skins were up 33-14 to in the fourth quarter. That's four Kurt Knight field goals, Charlie Taylor touchdown, two Charlie Haraway runs. Basically, they scored in every drive. In the fourth quarter, Ron Johnson scores. Then Tucker Fredrickson scores on a 57-yard pass. Then Johnson scores again with a minute left. Sonny had a chance, and he threw a pass to Charlie Taylor, which would have set up a chance to win the game on a field goal, uh-huh. but he stepped over the line. So it was called back, and the Redskins lost this game 35-33. to Were you eating like a TV dinner while you were watching this game? No, it was in the afternoon. Oh, okay. That was played like 1 o'clock, right. so okay. yeah, it wasn't dinner time yet. Yep. I think we went to Lito's, though, after the game. Really? Yeah, and there was only one The Lito. original the- on University <laughs> in College Park? There was only one, so we had, yeah. a, we had a schlep from Chevy Chase all the way over yeah, there. You know, the original one is no longer there. It's now off of Route 1, right behind yeah. Route 1. But in those days, it was there. All right, number two. This is more recent. October 30th, 2005, Giants Stadium. Oh, is this the Wellington Mara game? Yeah. Now, yeah. this is a week after the Redskins beat San Francisco. 50-something to something. 52-17, yeah. sacking a rookie quarterback by the name of Alex Smith 
five times. It was also the 14-topping pizza game where you got <laughs> free topping for each touchdown and yeah. double if you win. So, yeah, so that was that. They go to the Giants Stadium. On the first play from scrimmage, Tiki Barber runs 57 yards. By the end of the first half, Barber had 202 yards. Redskins lost yardage on six of 16 possessions. They lost the game 36-0. It was the first time that Joe Gibbs was ever shut up as a head coach. Number one. January 11th, 1987, this would be number one on anybody's list. This was the playoff game at the Meadowlands. Giants winning 17 Rather windy. Up. Yeah. The MVP of this game was Sean Landetta. He had six punts, 42.3-yard average, pinned him back, pinned him back, pinned him back. Jay Schrader, 20 of 50 for 195 yards, one interception, sacked four times. Redskins had only 40 yards rushing. They lost the game 17-0. I would have replaced your first one, which I have no recollection Because of, you're too young. But. Um, with um, Raul Alegre's 53-yard walk-off field goal in the opening Monday night game of the year in 1988. Uh, I have to I look it that up, but I think that was at FedEx. RFK. It was at RFK. I think it was. Uh, oh, that's right. That, you I, don't I, listen I, to me no. when I say you're these right. are only New York games because they're playing at New York. Okay, now here are the good. Totally uncoachable for the second straight week. Uh, Obviously. October 29th, 1972. This was at Yankee Stadium. Redskins won this game 23-17 to get to 6-1, but it's good and bad because Sonny on his first completion went down with the torn Achilles. There's a famous picture of Sonny walking off the field, Kilmer walking on. Dick Darcy took that photo. It's iconic in D.C. history. Anyway, uh, third quarter, Chris Hanberger takes the ball out of Ron Johnson's hands at the 38-yard line. Larry Brown scores on the next play, 38 yards out. Fans showered him with beer. They gave him a beer shower as he went in the end zone. Jerry Smith caught the clinching touchdown. Larry Brown on the cover of Sports Illustrated next week. Set a Redskin record, 29 carries, 191 yards. This was uh, October 29, 1972. Number two on the good list, at New York, or in this case, New Jersey. December 16th. 2007 Giants were down in this game early and this was this was during the post Sean Taylor uh, death in the run to the playoffs that year right so this is this is 10 days after they had beaten the Bears like three days after Sean Taylor's funeral Todd Collins first start in 10 years uh, he replaced Jason Campbell who got hurt in the Bears game skins went up 13 nothing to Sean Sweezum field goals a 14-yard touchdown for Liddell Betts third quarter Clinton Portis five-yard touchdown run. Collins for the game, stats weren't great. Eight for 25, 166 yards, but good enough to get it done. They beat Minnesota and Dallas the following two weeks to get to the playoffs. And the best one, October 27th, 1991. This was the same day as Jack Morris beating the uh, Atlanta Braves. Yeah, game seven. And the Redskins won this game 17-13 to get to 8-0. In the first half, Gary Clark dropped a short touchdown pass. Giants led 13-0 at the half. Third quarter, uh, Giants, uh, the Clark caught a touchdown pass from seven yards out. And then in the fourth quarter, a 54-yarder to beat Everson Walls, make it 14-13. Chip Miller kicked a field goal with less than a minute left. To so that it. game um, was just mentioned on this podcast for the second consecutive day. And the reason is that Scott yesterday when he was on, um, in, in that particular game, the Redskins were 7-0 and going into that game. Mm-hmm. The Giants were the defending champions, but under Ray Handley were struggling at 4-3. Yep. and three. It was a big Sunday night game, and the Redskins were like two-point favorites uh, in the game. And we thought uh, this was sort of the, uh, of the beginning of sort of our contrarian handicapping mm-hmm. philosophy, and we thought the line looked short. We bet the Giants. Uh. And we had the perfect you know, happiness hedge. The Redskins were up 14 to 13, so they were going to win the game mm-hmm. but not cover right. until Chip, Mo- Chip Low Miller added that late field goal to make it 17-13, <laughs> which was a killer. But that was a massively hyped game that year yeah. um, because the Redskins looked like the real deal. The Giants were defending champions at that point. And the, the Redskins, you know, would – and remember, too, Andy, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the Redskins had lost at that point Four or five straight games in a row to the Giants. I think it there was a streak there that the Giants and Parcells they owned Gibbs yep. in that in that late eighties stretch. Well, remember gonna, this: uh, the other game, the bad game that I talked about, the eighty-seven game. That was the game where the Redskins said our offensive line is too small. They benched Jeff Bostic. They moved Russ Grimm to center, and they tried to make all kinds of changes. And ultimately, Grimm got hurt. Bostic went back to center, and the Skins won the Super Bowl the next year. 
Right. Um, 90, the Redskins lost both of their games to the Giants. I think there was like a four or five game mm-hmm. losing streak to Parcells. And, and that year, they, you know, they beat him in the Meadowlands to end that streak. And uh, yeah, it was a five-game losing streak to the Giants going into that game. Yeah, that's that's and, that's that's the, then, g- the game really where well, Gary Clark had had some big catches, but that's the game I think that really cemented his legacy as as just a big-time clutch agreed. receiver. Yeah, and uh, was also you know the, not the first time that year, but we were then starting to understand that Rippin was throwing the deep ball in that particular season. Um, as well as anybody was throwing the deep ball because they took shots deep that year. And the other thing about that too, Andy, and a lot of people that didn't sort of you know follow the Redskins or weren't around for it during that era. I mean, we're not talking about the seventies; we're talking about the nineties now. But the Giants had become for that four or five year window their primary rival, much more than the Cowboys. The Redskins and the Giants played the biggest games in the division from really about 86 through, you know, 92, you know, in that stretch. And the Cowboys had those awful years as they went to Jimmy mm-hmm. early on. And then by 92, the Cowboys had turned it around with the Herschel Walker trade, with right. all the picks, and, you know, they um, they, they won the Super Bowl yeah. in, in the yeah, 92-93 then then season. Then the Giants went to the fate like the Cowboys had, the Dave Brown era. You right. know, Hamley lasted only two years, yeah. you know, and that's, that's how that ended. All right, let's finish up the show with Redskins score and more. Time to settle the score. It's score and more. All right. Are you falling into that same thing that everybody believes this is a trap game and that they're in, in danger of losing Sunday or or you know, what? I mean, it all, it all points to what should be a trap game. The Giants are trading people away. There's all kinds of chaos there. But the Redskins have lost these kind of games before. And I could see them losing this again, but I just think that they're too healthy on defense. I think that's the key to their whole thing. I mean, now they're going to be without Dunbar this week, and that's going to really hurt them. But to have reached almost the middle of the season and have this kind of health on defense, I think that really helps them a lot. And I think the problem is they don't score enough. That's that's the real problem. That's what makes you you're afraid of this. But I could see them winning like a 17-10 kind of game. I think this is one of those games that the Redskins either just completely manhandle the Giants, get out quickly, get a lead. The Giants bail not only on the game, but officially for the season as they're heading towards 1-7 and seven at that point. Um, or they lose the game. Yeah, I mean, you don't now, know what's, now, what's now, going on. Here's my prediction, though, because, you know, the, it's a pick em line, and I, I really, I, I, you know, I believe in sort of this whole contrarian thing, and I think Vegas is going to need, they're going to need the Giants on Sunday. They will have a need on Sunday, and it'll be the Giants. Um, 20 to 20 overtime tie. <laughs> That's my prediction. That's possible. A 20 to 20 overtime tie, uh, and 4-2-1 and one is still going to be fine, and they'll come home against an Atlanta team that is really good offensively, but not that great defensively, although they're getting healthier on defense. And all of a sudden, that Houston game in a few weeks looks like you know it's pretty yeah. daunting at home, but I, I think it's uh, this this game more than any other. I've had a difficult time tr- trying to figure out. Uh, a tie feels like a loss, though, to the Giants. And look, with this ten-minute overtime rule in the Stinks. NFL, it, you know the, the tie is now more prevalent and more possible. Terrible. I mean, we, the Browns have played four overtime games, and two of them, it, one did tie, and the other two came down to you know last second, last yeah. play field goals. Um, Bad idea. I. I it would it would be really telling if they go into the Meadowlands Sunday and they blow the Giants out. I think that would be a great sign to follow up an emotionally draining win over the Cowboys with a place that they haven't played well, that they've always sort of fallen flat after a big win, um, to get off to a 2-0 division start for just the second time in 22 seasons. Can you believe that? They've only won their first two division games one time in the last 22 seasons. That was 2010 yeah. with Shanahan. I think you probably mentioned this, but this is the first time they've gone into week eight in first place since 2000. And they'll be, they're guaranteed to be in first place regardless of what yeah. happens on Sunday. In fact, uh, no, they, they're not guaranteed in, uh, to be in first place after next week as well. But they are guaranteed to go in to week nine mm-hmm. of the NFL season, their eighth game of the year in first place. All right, thanks. Thank you. Very much. Uh, Bram, you want to get under the, the mic for a moment so I can say hello to you? 
Bram's just been sitting in here hanging out, wanted to check out the studio to just see. Came to visit, that's just all. Just came to visit. You know, he lives near here. What do you think is going to happen Sunday? Uh, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think the Redskins are going to blow him out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, this is um, this is the three-week stretch where we figure out if they're the same old – I can't curse here, right? Yes, you can. If they're the same old bullshit or if, they, uh, if they're actually going to really be different this time around because they got a team that they ought to beat who's fire-sailing their team away and trying to run their quarterback out of town. And um, nobody gets under the skin of that crazy receiver like our cornerback. So it's just going to take a couple plays and a 14 nothing lead for that thing to go completely sideways on them. And so I think if the Reds can start fast and they have this year, they'll beat them. Then they get Atlanta here. Atlanta's beat up. You know, on got defense. guys on IR. Yeah. You know, Freeman's not playing. I mean, I know they're good, but it, then they get Tampa. I mean, they got a shot here to be seven and two, six and three. They got, a real, they got a real shot at that. Whoa. Just, just as the schedule sets up, they have a real shot at seven and two, six and What's three. What's your confidence? So let's level find out if they're bullshit or not. What's this your is the three-week stretch to be that? What's your confidence yeah. level in seven, seven and two? Uh, not. I, I think six and three is a very realistic number for them over the next three weeks. I think they're going to win handily this weekend. I think their defense is considerably better than it's been. In years, specifically up front, they did you see that? Go look up the numbers of carries and yards totals, uh, yards total of Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, and Christian McCaffrey, and tell me you can't believe your eyes when you look at the numbers that those three running backs put up combined over the last three weeks. Barkley's not going to shred them. They have a terrible offensive line. This is going to get away from them. The Redskins are going to win handily this weekend. It's one of the um, reasons I backed off the Giants is that the Redskins' strength is clearly their defensive front. It is the, a strength of the team for the first time in forever. And the Giants' offensive line may be the worst I've seen in the NFL in a long time. Yeah. And if they can get off to that quick start, you know, you got a lot of things working for you. First of all, it's the way the Redskins, I think, need to play they're not my sense of it is it could change they're not a team that's going to get down and come back throwing the football number one number two to what you said and I said it earlier the Giants at one and seven or or staring one and seven in the face at that point may, may just say oh it's over we're done yeah so a quick start could be crucial Sunday to uh, to to burying sort of the Giants and in, in getting out of their five and two it would be it would be great. I know I, you you love to point out like don't look at the schedule early and say like yeah. did you think I I looked at it early and thought it was too hard and I thought that really that it was gonna it doesn't look that way right now. I mean all of a sudden those games against Jacksonville and Tennessee late don't look as formidable as they did at the beginning of the season. But we'll see you know when we get there. And Houston looked horrible at the beginning of the year. Last night are showing you they're going to be a problem when they come in here. So you don't know. But what's really shaping up really well here is if, if they beat, if they win games that are winnable, like this weekend and potentially the next couple, and they build a sizable lead, all they got to do is split with Philadelphia. Just just split with them, and you're going to end up Look, winning the division. They, they're 4-2. and two. They've got 10 games left. If they can play the way they've played the last two, which is this old formula of running the ball, stopping the run, winning the turnover battle, all of those things – they can win five of those games, yeah. and nine wins probably gets you the division this year. It, it could. looks like it. It I, certainly the, could. The bet of the year before the season was Philadelphia's over-under total was like 11. I mean, they and them winning 10 off a Super Bowl hangover with their quarterback not healthy and Alshon Jeffrey not starting the season, it was the best bet of the year. Did that you they bet were it? Not, no, because, you know, I got to go to Vegas. <laughs> Unlike you, I feel like a necessity to go to Vegas until Larry Hogan I, gets off his butt and legalizes gambling in the state so I can go down to the MGM Grand. It's not on the ballot yeah. uh, next week. Which means we're three years away. I know. Not next week, the week after. Yeah. Uh, exactly. It's ridiculous that it's not on the ballot this quickly. Yeah. I mean, they're just letting revenue leave the state for – neighboring states stupid uh thank you um thanks for having me on uh thanks for showing by. me the for the digs i want to just stop. i was just coming by to see the digs stop I was gonna by whenever you buy want. you lunch at safeway downstairs <laughs> you're not watch. doing that uh but thanks appreciate it uh thanks to aaron thanks to launch workplaces this is an awesome place if you live in the bethesda uh chevy chase upper northwest dc area you don't want a long commute it's too hard to get work done from home check out launch workplaces in bethesda it is launchworkplaces.com Phone number 240-867-14 for a free two-day trial. They've got fully furnished offices, conference rooms, co-working desks, high-speed internet, free parking, 24-7 access. Again, it's 240-867-14 for a free two-day trial or just go to launchworkplaces.com. Thanks to Chris Russell. Thanks to Andy. Thanks to Bram. Thanks to all of you. Aaron, of course, producing the show. Have a great weekend. We will have 
have the podcast out very early Monday, um, like we did last Monday. We're gonna we're gonna really try on Mondays after games to have it out for you uh, early in the morning by you know six a.m. at the latest to get you uh, the uh, sort of recap of the game much sooner. Have a great weekend, everybody.